Nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring today. Robert Half is here to help. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. The last decade has been a roller coaster for the world of retail. There was the fallout from the Great Recession, competition from big tech disruptors like Amazon, the struggles of malls, and of course, COVID-19, the most disruptive force of all. Some retailers have gone bankrupt, while others have become e-commerce plays. Then there are those trying to find a middle ground, counting on a return to normalcy that includes digital sales and storefronts. That story is best told through Nordstrom and its struggle to stay relevant and in business. I'm Alex Yule. Welcome to The Readback. This season, we're doubling down on the past, jumping further back to the archives of Barron's to explore why companies, ideas, and industries thrived, even as others failed to meet their promise. In our frenetic news cycle, those stories are quickly forgotten, even though they hold valuable lessons for the future. Today on the show, how Nordstrom is plotting its comeback. When Nordstrom's eight-story retail mecca opened one year ago, the future of bricks-and-mortar retail was already in doubt. Nordstrom's New York City opening was a contrarian bet that there was plenty of life left for in-person retail. To open a new department store in this day and age requires a lot of gumption. Gumption one retailing family seems to possess by the shelfful. This is a store decades in the making. Opening this flagship store in one of the fashion capitals of the world is a big deal for the Seattle-based retailer. Does New York need a department store? They need a Nordstrom. Nordstrom opened the flagship on West 57th Street in Manhattan, not far from the luxury capital of Fifth Avenue, and not far from the Plaza Hotel and the horse carriages that used to fill Central Park. It was tourist heaven, especially in the Christmas shopping season that was only a few weeks away. But this wouldn't be holiday shopping as you knew it. Nordstrom had gone to great lengths to change up what a store could be. A review from Nordstrom's hometown newspaper, the Seattle Times, described it like this. There aren't very many clothes on the racks, signaling that the shopping experience here aspires to boutiqueishness. There was a miniature Fendi rack in the children's department. And there was the shoe bar. The bar. So, what's the thought there? Well, um, I, you know, anything from a cup of coffee to a martini, shoe shopping should be fun. Crowds of people lined up to have the first peek at the rows of luxury goods. The Nordstrom family, who had founded the company more than a century earlier, even joined in on the fun. And the highlight of the morning was an appearance by some people who usually try to avoid the spotlight the Nordstroms themselves. Well, good morning. Uh, I'm Jamie. I'm the fun one. Uh... While East Coast Nordstrom fans had waited for this moment for years, Wall Street was less enthusiastic. Over the last year, the company's stock had fallen more than 40%. Despite the hoopla, a flagship store was unlikely to be the thing that saved Nordstrom. For years, bricks-and-mortar stores had been losing to online retail. Nordstrom hadn't exactly sat still as its industry was disrupted. The company invested a huge amount in its online and mobile shopping experiences. But Nordstrom was punished by Wall Street for spending too much on its technology. Amazon.com never had that problem. The more the company spent, the more investors and shoppers seemed to like it. It was the irony of fighting back against the e-commerce giant. 
All right, now shoppers are getting their first look inside Amazon's new four-star store, as they call it, in Park Meadows. They've been digging a moat, and they've been digging a moat around retail, and it gets deeper and deeper. Now it's getting broader and broader at the same time. So in terms of where it's going to go, it just depends on what year you're willing to pay for. And at this point right now, it creeps higher. So in the middle of an e-commerce surge, why would Nordstrom open a physical store with an estimated price tag of nearly $500 million? They believe in going above and beyond. That's Tanya Garcia. She's a news editor and retail and consumer reporter for Barron's sister site, MarketWatch. They are trying to redefine themselves as not just a department store retailer, but in this luxury space, which luxury has really been reluctant to go online because of the experience of it, right? They don't want to have their brand diminished by just being a web page, let's say, on, you know, Amazon or something like that. They want to stand out and show all of what distinguishes them and makes them, you know, creative and fresh and new. But opening a giant store on 57th Street in Manhattan didn't seem all that creative or fresh. The company was betting on its future by doubling down on the past. To understand why, we're going to have to go way back, 130 years back. The Nordstrom story begins in 1887. That's when John W. Nordstrom, at 16 years old, left Sweden for the United States. He arrived in New York with $5 in his pocket, so the story goes, and unable to speak a word of English. Nordstrom headed to Alaska and found gold. He used the rewards to invest in a Seattle shoe store. By the 1960s, that shoe store, now owned solely by the Nordstrom family, had become the largest in the country. Along the way, it added apparel. The company went public in 1971 and kept expanding with new stores across the country over the 1980s and 90s, eventually adding Nordstrom Rack, a popular off-price brand. Today, the company has 100 of its traditional department stores and 248 of its outlets. New York City was a clear holdout something that Wall Street-based analysts seem to always ask the company about. In 2012, Nordstrom was finally ready to move in. Here's current CEO Eric Nordstrom talking to Bloomberg about how a New York store had become a matter of family lore. New York's been here for a long time. Why did it take so long to open such a presence or big presence here? Well, it wasn't from a lack of effort. Uh, really, it's the only subject I can think of that has spanned, I mean, literally generations for our, for our company. My dad's, uh, when we opened our, our men's store uh, last year, I asked him when was the first time he came to New York and thought about having a store. Uh, he paused and he said, eh, that's right when I first became president of the company. That's 35. Uh, well, he's 86 now, uh, so it's a long time. Nostalgia wasn't the only reason Nordstrom wanted to open the store. New York was the epicenter of department stores. Macy's, Saks Fifth Avenue, Bloomingdale's, Lord & Taylor, Bergdorf Goodman. Or it was. Not all of those department stores have stayed in business. There's also the fact that Nordstrom was a publicly traded stock covered by lots of investment banking firms headquartered in New York. It was always a bit awkward for the company to not have a store in the same city where its stock was traded. Of course, just a few months later, no one would be going to that store, Wall Street analysts included. Well, when it comes to the coronavirus and retail, it's complicated. Retail continue, of course, to get hit by the coronavirus. A new report by Cowan showing that total U.S. retail traffic for the week ended March 27th was down, as you might imagine, a whopping 97%. 
You know, for a retailer, having the right inventory at the right time is kind of like a basic tenet of retail, right? But when all the stores were closed, effectively mandated by the government to do so with very little notice, all that inventory literally got locked inside. And now it's become an aging asset inside stores across the country, deteriorating in value. It's hard to think of a global event that has shaken the foundations of retail like the coronavirus pandemic. MarketWatch's Tanya Garcia, who you heard from earlier, describes it as the biggest moment in her career as a retail reporter. Before coronavirus, anything that Amazon did was a moment, so to speak. You know, they bought Whole Foods. Oh my goodness, that's crazy. They were opening up more stores and they had the self-checkout Go stores. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Now it seems like it's just so transformative for everyone, for all these companies. It's been really such a big, huge, dramatic change. You can see that by the number of bankruptcies, by the number of store closures, by the number of companies that have talked about restructuring during this period. And certainly in the time that I've been covering it, it's the biggest thing. For Nordstrom, the pandemic has been particularly problematic. To be honest, a lot of what Nordstrom sells are things that people don't really need right now, right? I mean, no one needs a a new dress, no one needs a new tie. You know, those are the areas that Nordstrom will excel. I can count on one hand the number of times I've had to wear a tie in the last eight months. And that's the problem for Nordstrom, which is known for selling the type of clothing you need for work and special occasions, and not the Zoom ones. Well, Nordstrom is exposed to women's apparel, which is not doing generally very well. And it also is exposed to work attire, event attire, dressy attire, all of which are being hurt by COVID. That's Andrew Barry, a longtime associate editor at Barron's. He says Nordstrom's offerings are falling short, at least among the apparel categories that are still working. It's not exposed to some of the stronger categories like athletic, athleisure, home. So it's basically in some of the wrong categories right now. And higher end consumers, which are basically its main market, have been pulling back. Another issue Nordstrom faces is steep competition from off-price retail. While department store giants Nordstrom, Macy's, and Kohl's have a combined market value of $8 billion, that's nothing compared with TJX, the owner of discount stores TJ Maxx and Marshalls, whose value is north of $70 billion. Nordstrom has made some inroads in the off-price world with Nordstrom Rack. The issue that analysts worry about is can they source clothing and other merchandise for Rack the way TJX does? I mean, TJX is a monster sourcing business, and I think people wonder whether Rack can basically match that. Before the pandemic, physical stores were suddenly looking more important again. There's a reason Amazon had paid close to $14 billion for Whole Foods and was rolling out physical bookshops and high-tech convenience stores. Before coronavirus changed the retail landscape, bricks-and-mortar retail was actually looking better than it had in a while. The thinking behind stores shifted. Instead of just being a place to come in and go shopping, it was a marketing vehicle. It's a place to come in and, you know, touch and feel this thing that maybe you only have experience with online. It's a way to engage with people who might not have come across the brand online. So stores really were being rethought. And now we're seeing them once again being rethought as almost mini fulfillment centers. What Tanya is talking about here is one of the latest pandemic-induced twists in retail. In that context, Nordstrom's big New York push actually makes a lot of sense. If the company was right, we might never know. 
or it could take years. A COVID vaccine is finally around the corner, but it will take more than a shot to fix the damage wrought to retail during the pandemic. It's depressing to think about all the empty storefronts that will inevitably welcome a return to city streets and malls. Or maybe not. No, it's not depressing, and I'll tell you why. That's Dana Telsey. I'm the CEO of Telsey Advisory Group. I'm a retail analyst. Whatever you'd like to call me, that's fine. (laughs) For Dana, the months to come are a big opportunity for retail. It's going to be a new invention of how the consumer landscape evolves. It's going to be what makes it even more relevant for physical stores to attract consumers and how they're messaging them to online. This is one of the most exciting times of retail because of the great magnitude of change that there is. And Nordstrom should be one of those beneficiaries. Dana recently upgraded the stock to a buy. I think they will be a long-term winner in the department store sector. I think part of the reason why, they have fewer stores on the full-line side. They have great data and intelligence. They can tailor their assortments because they know their customer, and they can have the off-price stores. So I think they, of the department store space, they're already smaller than everyone else and have the opportunity, given the hopefully reduced spending, to show some improvement in margins down the line. Dana points out that while Nordstrom's overall sales have been down during the pandemic, their online sales grew substantially. And that's extended the head start they have over competitors in e-commerce. They've seen an increase of more than 50% in new customers is important because there can easily be a stickiness factor there. What Dana means is once you get a new buyer, they're likely to stick around in the future. In Nordstrom's case, that could be with an online purchase or possibly a buy online Pick up in store purchase, what some in the industry now refer to as BOPIS. Or eventually, it could just mean a regular old store transaction. When you go in a store to pick something up that you ordered online, maybe walking out as you're walking through the store to get it, oh, you know what? There's a belt, there's a pair of socks, there's a lipstick. You're buying other things because if you just order online, it's one and done. You made the purchase and then you leave. Here, by going in the store, you may need other things and it's increasing the average transaction. Andrew Barry is also optimistic, but cautiously so. In the spring of 2019, Barron's wrote favorably about Nordstrom, pointing out that the stock, back then priced at around $30 a share, had the potential to go higher. That call hasn't worked out so well, at least not yet. But it's worth noting that as we've started to hear good news about COVID vaccines, Nordstrom's stock has started to head higher. As of this taping, The stock was about $20. We reached out to Nordstrom to get their thoughts on the pandemic and whether they've had second thoughts about opening that Manhattan flagship. The company didn't get back to us about an interview. So instead, I put that question to Tanya Garcia. I don't know that regret would be the right word. I'm sure they regret the timing on them, but the thinking behind them seemed to be more than just come in and go shopping. The choice of where they're located has to do with tourism, you know, and getting people who are going to be on holiday and will be going to Central Park or some of the surrounding areas and then would want to come in and see what kind of magic might be in that store. It's easy to see tourists flooding back into Manhattan once the vaccine arrives. There's no reason to think that after COVID, when people are going to be so excited about traveling, going to parties, seeing their friends again, why people wouldn't 
want to drop some money on a dress and put on their finest and hang out with people they haven't seen in a while and have a good time. I, I will say that I am very happy that I have not had to put on dress shoes in I think exactly seven months. So that has been one perk in an otherwise pretty dismal 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you look at it, if you look at it that way. Then again, when you finally do, you're gonna be like, wow, I look so good. Why haven't I been doing this just to just to walk around my house, maybe? That that is a uh, a glass half full approach. I like that. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Readback. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, glad to have you back. Regardless, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also email us at thereadback@barons.com. Thanks to Tanya Garcia, Andrew Barry, and Dana Telsey. And for more coverage on Nordstrom, Amazon, and the retail industry, you can check out barons.com. I'm Alex Ewell. The Readback is produced by Katie Ferguson and Meta Litsoft. Our executive producer is Melissa Hagley. Next week on the show, Peloton broke the IPO market and then came racing back. There was a lot of cynicism about it. And, you know, I'll count myself as one of those people saying, you know, $2,000 bikes, $4,000 treadmills, who's buying this? In 10 or 20 years, are we going to look back and think it was crazy that we ever went to physical bricks and mortar gyms? We'll be back next week.